Good afternoon and welcome to this, uh, the first of the semester session to the Serious Security Seminar from Purdue University. Uh, I'm Joel Rasmus, Managing Director, and it's my distinct pleasure to be able to introduce our guest speaker today. Uh, our speaker is uh, Mr. Ambrose Camp, who is a Cyber Chief Scientist and Fellow with Lockheed Martin. Uh, Mr. Cam has is a is considered a pioneer within the uh, the industry as he was one of the very first to start applying modeling, simulation, and operations analysis to threat modeling and cyber resiliency assessments. It's our pleasure to have him with us today. Ambrose, it's all yours. All right, thank you, Joel. Appreciate it, and uh, thanks again for uh, having me here uh, today uh, to kick off. Uh, uh, this new season or this this new semester here. <clears throat> uh, so my name is Ambrose Cam, and uh, I'm from uh, Lockheed Martin. Been with the company for um, uh, yeah 20 years. I, I started it uh, in the 2020. Uh, I mean I mean 2003, and uh, so this will be my 20th uh, year with the company. Previously, I also spent a few a uh, few years uh, with other companies uh, within the DoD industry. Um, but uh, but the thing that I'll be talking about today is uh, really on uh, applying multi-agent reinforcement learning uh, in a cyber wargaming uh, uh, environment. Um, so um, so what is the motivation for this uh, talk here? What, why are we doing what we are doing? So um, so uh, I guess the you know, first of all, what I would like to do uh, for our activity here is that we would like to develop this AI-based um, uh, wargaming capability to better identify uh, ex uh, potential exploits or um, and or tactics, uh, techniques and procedures, uh, TTPs uh, that were that may be uh, previously unknown. Um, I think that you know when we do uh, so in the cyber industry, there's a term called you know rat teaming. So basically, you're playing the role uh, of the adversary uh, trying to break into your system. Um, the goal is really to identify potential weaknesses in your system, and uh, once you know the weaknesses, then you can come up with ways to mitigate these uh, uh, security flaws or security weaknesses uh, or weaknesses uh, within your system. So that's really the whole purpose of this. But we wanted to kind of uh, take another step further, right? Instead of always having a human person doing the, you know, what we call typically call, you know, red teaming, um, we would like to maybe use uh, AI machine learning um, to do that, uh, to at least, you know, uh, help us uh, identify high level exploits um, that the adversary might be able to uh, take advantage of. Um, because as human uh, cyber operators, we, we know what we know. We we are kind of you know somewhat limited to uh, to the knowledge and maybe previous ex uh, experiences that we uh, that that we have, and so we may not be able to see um, you know that um, you know to identify you know uh, weaknesses um, like uh, like others like like the adversary, for example. And so um, so there was many benefits uh, to this approach. One is that. Um, in many cases, uh, some of our systems may not be fully developed yet, and we want to be able to start, you know, uh, exercising this uh, this kind of assessment to identify uh, new or emerging uh, attack vectors. And uh, in the DoD industry, you know, that's certainly certainly the case. Um, you know, we 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 have. I mean, I I work for Lockheed Martin, and 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 we have you know new systems, new platforms uh, coming down the pike. That's uh, you know um, as, as always, and uh, and you really need to 
you know, step up their game to um, to do this kind of red teaming. Um, the other thing is that um, uh, a lot of times uh, it's always more costly to uh, retrofit cyber solutions uh, once the system has been deployed. I mean, obviously, yeah. So once you you know push out a system, the the system is already in the hands of the end users, uh, and then you find out there there are some problems. Uh, I mean, uh, that's avoidable, but you know, to the extent possible, you need to uh, at least, you know, uh, try to find as many uh, weaknesses as you can uh, before you hand it over. Uh, this can be a, you know, uh, an airplane or it can be, a, you know, uh, enterprise-wide, you know, computer network or, or something like that. Or maybe it's a cell phone, you know, cell phone infrastructure. Um, but the important thing is to be able to um, to identify as many um, exploits early on so that you can come up with uh, you know, solutions or at least you know, mitigations uh, uh, plans uh, before you roll it out. Um, and then the other thing is that we will also want to use this as an opportunity to uh, improve the resiliency and the overall robustness of the system. Um, and so that's really uh, key because uh, in, in, I mean, nowadays, uh, the adversaries, they're not going to stop at you know doing whatever that they can to um, you know uh, to meet their objectives, whether it's you know stealing your personal information or in the case of DoD, maybe they want to uh, disrupt uh, the operations of our airplanes or ships or whatever. Um, so that's really important. So, so the concept of resiliency is important, and, and I also do want to point out that um, resiliency doesn't mean that you uh, try uh, catch all the threats at all times because you may or may not be able to to do that, but Resiliency uh, actually means that uh, even if there's a cyber event that might be happening, your system or uh, system of systems can still continue to operate. So that's really the concept of uh, resiliency there. And um, and in the case of uh, of of DoD or maybe even in the in the civilian world, when you don't really have the system yet, or uh, you know you want to be able to have uh, this kind of capability. And so our approach is to you know leverage reinforcement learning, and I. You know, and we have demonstrated that we, we know how to use reinforcement learning to kind of augment uh, the human operators um, so that the human cyber operators or cyber professionals you don't need to uh, sit in the lab, you know, for days or weeks and or months you know, at a time to discover these vulnerabilities for red teaming purposes. Um, we would like to kind of uh, be able to augment, uh, you know, what what they already have, the, the kind of capabilities that, that they already have. And then this multi-agent will also uh, help us, uh, not only that we have you know, single learning agents, uh, single learning agent working, but we also wanted to have a multi-agent reinforcement learning framework. Um, so that's, uh, that's important. Um, so, for, so, um, so the other thing I would like to kind of point out is uh, the concept of wargaming, right? Um, so a lot of people, you know, think of wargaming as like, you know, have tanks and airplanes and, you know, flying in the real world and they shoot at each other. Yeah, that's kind of wargaming too, but, um, but there's also the simulation aspect. It doesn't have to be real. It can be kind of virtual uh, in the sense that you can use uh, simulation or, or modern simulation tools to augment that. So uh, I have a kind of a definition from NATO of what is a war game. So uh, from their perspective, it's a, a simulation by whatever means of a military operation involving two or uh, more opposing opposing forces using rules, data, and procedures. Um, and really, the idea is to you know depict a real possible real world you know, event 
so that the operators can better anticipate what might be happening if there's a conflict there. Uh, that's more of a military kind of thing. But in the civilian world, uh, if you look at the bottom there, uh, that's, that's a quote you know, that I took from um, you know, Deloitte, which is one of the uh, consulting firms. Uh, in the cyber world, <clears throat> there's also the concept of using uh, similar techniques, uh, cyber wargaming, um, uh, in the commercial world as well. So I, I don't want to give people the, impre the impression that uh, this is the only thing that we are doing in the DoD world and that that's no relevance to, uh, to the commercial world or the civilian world. That's definitely not, not true there. I mean, as, as a matter of fact, um, the whole purpose of you know, cyber wargaming is really to raise the awareness of uh, cybersecurity threats and uh, using this as a way to um, improve or, or enhance you know, operator training so that they can, they can better anticipate uh, uh, real-world threats uh, later on. And so that's, that's important. Um, here's a chart, uh, or at least this figure, um, that I kind of uh, reference uh, from, the, uh, from, from the MITRE folks. So, so MITRE is a federally funded research and development center, or FFRDC. Um, I, I actually spent a few years uh, uh, with MITRE as well. Um, and then they, they actually came up with this uh, concept of uh, war gaming reference model. Um, I, I kind of added the word you know, cyber there, but essentially what, what they are talking about here is that you have a um, uh, red team and then blue team. So maybe red team is, uh, is focusing more on the defensive side, blue team is focusing more on the, uh, uh, well, so the red team might be, on the, might be focusing more on the offensive side, the other team, say blue team, might be focusing on the defensive side. And they kind of you know act out this kind of scenario. Um, so you have different turns, and within each turn you have different moves. And so you know, at the beginning of the turn, maybe the the red team you know uh, picks a course of action um, to attack, say the blue side, and then the blue side is trying to do something to mitigate or at, at least uh, you know address the um, those threats. And then the system states uh, got um, got updated. Uh, because if it's a case case of say you know tanks and airplanes you know flying and shooting at each other, um, there's a matter of you know adjudication. Like if there's a missile that's being fired, did that missile kill the target? For example, um, if it's a kind of a war game DOD kind of thing. But in the cyber, it's not so much about um, you know uh, physically like uh, destroying uh, an asset. It's more about Maybe you know shutting shutting it that shutting that asset down for an extended period of time, or maybe disrupting its operations, um, that sort of thing, or maybe stealing some data or something like that. So, but but nonetheless, my, my, but my point is that um, there is a uh, red team versus kind of blue team. You have multicolor team, and then you have the white team that's kind of in charge of the uh, in charge of the execution of the scenario, and that um, the same white team uh, may or may not have the people. The, the experts, subject matter experts, to to perform the adjudication, and so um, so if we kind of extend that concept uh, and then applying this to the cyber wargaming, it's kind of similar. You you would have a cyber adversary. You know they have some kind of offensive playbook, and then out of that playbook, they're gonna you know select some kind of play, uh, and then the, on the defensive side, the cyber de uh, protection team, they would also have a defensive playbook, and then they also pick a play, and then they kind of act out. It's kind of similar uh, in in the in the DoD world where they conduct the war gaming. Um, so that's the kind of the typical um, definition of war gaming. Uh, Peter um, Peter Perler, who is kind of a 
grandfather in um, in wargaming, if you will. Um, they have uh, so he has a book that kind of talks to this, and um, so as so he so he's the well known uh, you know um, I mean figure in 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 the wargaming world, and, and they have kind of. Uh, you know, he has documented a lot of these, you know, concepts there. And what is the definition of wargaming versus, let's say, a uh, tabletop exercise, for example. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of nuances, and I don't want to get too much into that. But, uh, but for this, um, you know, effort that we are doing, we, I'm, I'm kind of uh, calling this as a wargaming because there is, you know, both sides, offensive and the defensive side. Uh, doesn't have to be red versus blue. It can be, you know, red versus purple, if, if you like. But um, that's. And, and really the, the whole point is that you have, you know, two teams, uh, two or more teams, I should say. Um, so again, you know, uh, going back to uh, to what I was saying about the offensive playbook, um, we need to, we as in the cyber professionals here, we, we need to come up with the offensive playbook or, or the defensive playbook. So in the offensive playbook, it might be a, uh, a, um, a collection of uh, TTPs, you know, tactics, techniques, and procedures, uh, or maybe potential attack vectors. And they can be, uh, they can come from uh, attack patterns from the KPAC database. I have another chart to talk to that, but um, but take my word for it is so the so the KPAC actually has a list of uh, uh, high level attack patterns that the adversary could use, and then there's also the CBEs, which is common vulnerability ex, uh, exposures, uh, and um, uh, and also the Q chain as well. And so collectively, we we come up with this kind of uh, playbook. Um, same thing with the defensive side. You also have uh, the NISC standards out there, NISC 853A, uh, for example, that's, the, uh, that's where they have all the security controls out there. And then you have uh, CSA, uh, cyber, cyber survivability attributes, and also uh, 800-160 volume two, for example, that's the uh, cyber resiliency uh, techniques out there. And so collectively, we come up with this playbook. Um, it's the, the way that I would describe it is similar to how you, uh, if you guys are familiar with, say, American football, right? So in, in American football, you, you have two teams playing against each other, but each side, they say whether the offensive side or the defensive side, they have their own uh, uh, playbook. Uh, so the, the offensive, you know, coordinator, they would, you know, go to this playbook, you know, call up a play. Same thing that the defensive uh, coordinator will also call up a, a play and then they kind of act it out, you know, play it out. Um, same thing here. So it's similar concept, I would say. Um, but to kind of augment, to kind of categorize and kind of group all these, you know, TTPs and attack vectors together, we leverage something uh, like the uh, MITRE's attack framework. So again, it's a it's a framework that's uh, that's freely, you know, available. And um, as a matter of fact, I, I I posted this link here. You can uh, you know go to it or or you can just just Google it. But basically, uh, what you have is a. If you can see my uh, my desktop there, so this is the the, the same attack frame, framework that I uh, copy and paste uh, for, for that slide there. And so at the top there, so each column is the um, they are the tactics, and then the rows are the techniques. So you have uh, you know, columns by uh, uh, row by columns. So you have um, techniques. Uh, for each of uh, each one of the rows, and then at the top is the uh, those are the uh, tactics there. And so we would like to uh, group them together. And the reason why we did that is to better organize uh, the the playbook that I described. And then uh, same thing with the uh, with the defensive side. There, Mida also came out with this uh, defense framework. I think uh, it's fairly recent, maybe last year or maybe you know, fifteen months ago. Uh, it's it's fairly recent. 
So, uh, so again, you can Google it, you know, is industry, you know, stand kind of an industry standards. A lot of people, uh, cyber professionals, they, they, they reference attack framework and defend framework. And so uh, you, you can kind of take a look at that. Same thing, um, you know, there's the, in terms of organization, similar to the attack framework, uh, at the top, those are the tactics, and then the roles are the are they, um, uh, techniques. And so that's that's how uh, attack and defend framework got organized. Um, but going back to what I was saying, um, the interesting thing about the attack and defend framework is that there is, uh, for every you know attack vector, there's also the corresponding defensive you know, technique that you can address. Uh, so this is kind of an example of that. Uh, as far as uh, how you want to, if the if the adversary want to attack, say your account or something like that, and I'm just kind of using it, using it as a very generic, you know, uh, attack vector example. How would you uh, on the defensive side? How how would you address that? So one way might be to uh, harden um, your hardware, maybe to harden your your credential as well. Maybe you want, uh, maybe you want to enable your multi-factor authentication to, uh, and things like that. So, so there are different ways that you can um, uh, build your strategy. But, uh, but the point that I want to make is that there is a, you know, for every attack vector, there's a corresponding uh, defensive uh, scheme, if you will. And so, so there's a kind of a relationship there, and 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 that's going to be important in, in the next few charts. That I, I wanted to kind of uh, plant that seed in, in your head there. Um, and then, so this is one example um, uh, of how the attack framework can, can be used. Um, so you can see here, this is the attack technique that I uh, share with you there on the screen. And then there's the mitigation um, uh, and, and then the effects and then the corresponding security controls that may be used to address uh, the, the, that particular given uh, technique, for example. Um, so that's part of the uh, 800 160 volume two there. Um, and so that's pretty good, right? Because because now we can, I mean, like I said, we are using the attack framework uh, on the offensive side to kind of organize uh, the uh, TTPs uh, and the attack vectors. And then on the defensive side, we can also do the same. Um, we, we also, uh, so I would also like to mention about the KPAC uh, and the um, uh, CWE, which is the Cyber Witness Enumeration, and the CVE, which is, is uh, Cyber Vulnerability Exposures. And so uh, KPAC is basically is a collection of attack patterns and basically tells the end users how the weaknesses uh, of uh, within the system can be exploited. And then the CWE is basically is a recourse uh, of, that, uh, of that weakness there. Uh, and then the vulnerability would be, you know, a little bit more specific. You know, given the fact that there is this security gap or this security weakness on the system, what are the things? What are the vulnerabilities there? So there's uh, reference databases for each one of these, and, and we basically collected them. Um, and so this is uh, one example of it. Again, this is you know open source; anybody can access this. Uh, so this is an example of a say rainbow password uh, hack, for example. And the, the reason why there is a this attack pattern of rainbow password hack is because there is a weakness in the password requirement of your on the system. And how do the adversary take advantage of that? So there's a whole bunch of CVEs that are associated with a uh, with with a you know weak uh, weak um, you know password 
um, for example. So there's so so the idea is that there you know for each one of these attack patterns there's corresponding CWEs and CVEs, and and that's the point I'm trying to get at, and how we can kind of group all these concepts together. Uh, this this is the kind of a diagram that kind of shows you uh, the relationship between um, the CVE, CWEs, the KPAT, but also uh, how they are related to the attack um, and the defend framework there. And so in this case here, you know, there are specific, you know, weaknesses that there they, would be, you know, some kind of CVEs that, uh, that can be exploited. Um, and that leads to, you know, some kind of, you know, attack patterns uh, from the KPAT. And then the attack tactic or technique can implement uh, those attack patterns. And then on the defense side, how can you, you know, uh, address these uh, security gaps? Uh, and so that's the example that I was trying to show you. Um, and so, so why, why, why are we doing this? Okay, so the reason why we are doing this, as I told you, we, we, we need to have playbooks. Um, and then, uh, so which is important. The other thing that, uh, that, is, that we are also doing um, that's in the domain of um, um, uh, AI machine learning is that we need to have some kind of database to train the learning agents. Uh, so I actually have a few charts that, that can't talk to, to reinforcement learning, but just to give you a preview, when you set up your learning agents, you need to be able to train it, right? Because the learning agents, they don't know anything at the beginning of the episode. So you need to train the learning agents uh, and we need to use industry standards to train these learning agents. Because it's one thing that, you know, uh, lucky about somebody from lucky about, you know, like myself, you know, says something, oh, this is the way that you attack a system X, I don't say I don't say Windows 11 or you know iPhone 12 or, so, or something like that. Um, but is it is it another that hey that we are actually using industry standards so we provide the traceability? You know people have been doing you know performance testing. They have identified these uh, um, um, uh, valid you know uh, exploits, and so the in whole industries know know about them, right? It's not just. I make something out. It's, it's not like that. So, so that's important to have some kind of foundation from the credibility standpoint. And then secondly, secondly we can use that, use this um, knowledge base or knowledge graph, if you will, if you will to train the learning agents. And, and that's the next thing that I'm trying to get at. So the idea is that, um, that the uh, human operators or, or in the case of learning agent, they can actually compose these different attack vectors. So I kind of use, a, use the analogy of your know, different Lego blocks. You may have different bins, right? These bins might be uh, the tactics and techniques that I show you about. And, and it's really up to uh, you if, if, uh, if the human operators are part of the, the, the software war game to compose this, or if it's a uh, learning agents, uh, they need to be able to uh, take these Lego blocks from these uh, bins and be able to compose something. And that's the whole idea. And, and that's what this, this diagram is, is trying to show you is that um, the Vortex is basically is our uh, database. So in our case, we are using a Neo4j you know, instance, um, but you can use whatever that you want. The idea is that you have some kind of knowledge base that resemble that resemble like a, a playbook, you know, offensive playbook in this case here, because uh, because that's the you know cyber attacker in this in this chart here. Um, so the idea is that he's going to call up a play from this playbook. And there will be that, and 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 based on whatever the defensive side might be doing, there might be some cyber results. And so, uh, 
So there's a action and a reaction. So similar to how you would, you know, play out like a uh, like in a football game, essentially. Um, so, so how do we want to apply this in the AI machine learning domain? So this is the same chart that I showed you earlier, except that I replaced the, the human person uh, on the left-hand side and on the right-hand side as well. So it's not just um, uh, two human people, you know, playing against each other or two teams of human players playing against each other. They can be, you know, um, two groups of learning agents playing, playing against each other. Um, or you can have a hybrid situation where you might have, you know, one team uh, that's controlled by learning agents and then the other team controlled by human operators as well. Uh, but the concept is, it's very similar, uh, is, is that, that, you know, instead of having human operators calling the plays from, from the playbooks, uh, you have uh, AI machine learning engines, uh, 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 agents uh, to call up those, those plates. And in our case, we are using uh, reinforcement learning. And, and the reason why, why we chose the, why we went down this uh, reinforcement learning path is that uh, it takes a lot of data uh, to train the learning agent uh, for like supervised learning. And this is the next thing that I'm trying to get at is that once we have established this wargaming environment, how can we evolve it uh, to better leverage uh, AI machine learning? So the figure on the left there kind of shows you kind of a uh, kind of a over, uh, like like a vet diagram to show you what uh, what AI is really about and how does it you know um, compare to machine learning? It's a subset, right? So basically, you know, AI is basically is something that um, that's trying to mimic the human behavior or the way that humans think. Uh, but then the, the sub, a subset of that might be, you know, machine learning is actually learn, focusing on the learning aspect. It's not so much just to replicate uh, human behavior, uh, behaviors or you know, human uh, decision ma making, but also actually the, the machine is actually learning. So it's actually a subset of that. And then you have deep learning and then you have reinforcement learning. Uh, to, to, to the chart on the right, basically shows you that there's different paths of, uh, of AI and we are focusing more on the decision-making at this point there. And so, so that's, uh, that's what we are focusing on. And then um, within machine learning, as I, as, I, as I mentioned, there are like different domains or different types of machine learning. So you have supervised learning uh, where you are providing um, explicit, um, uh, I guess, um, uh, uh, you know, feedback. So it's it's like you 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 need to have large volume of label structure data uh, for supervised learning to uh, to work. And then you have you know unsupervised learning. It's kind of you know similar to you, you allow your kids to drive your car. You know they don't know how to drive a car at the beginning. So you but you don't give them explicit instructions. You just let them drive, and they might you know you know run over. Uh, say the garbage can, or the, or, or you know, hit the curb, you know, scratch your wheels, or whatever, or they might even you know hit the other cars too. But but overall, you are hoping that that uh, that your kid uh, will learn how to drive a car, you know, after after you know you know so many you know accidents or whatever. Um, but reinforcement learning is a little bit different, right? Reinforcement learning is actually uh, providing feedback, um, uh, providing rewards. So th there's an objective function and there's rewards that's associated that are associated with those uh, with the objective function. Essentially, and and so that's the one that we chose for our use case here because um, I, I found out it's very hard to get a large volume of label structure data for cyber, and um, especially in the Department of Defense uh, use cases. So, um, so for our use cases, uh, we we chose to use uh, reinforcement learning, but other people might might choose uh, something else different. Um, 
this is kind of like an overall uh, overview architecture of the of the what like reinforcement learning is really about. So you typically set up the learning environment. You have you know agent in, in this case here one agent. Uh, it's trying to make some kind of decision. As I said, the the, the agent doesn't know anything. So uh, so the environment needs to provide some kind of um, feedback, right? So there's an objective function that based on whatever the outcome of the chosen actions. Uh, there is the reward function that calculates uh, how many reward points that the agent uh, will get um, uh, for each episode. And the idea is that you have many, many, you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands, tens of thousands of episodes. And maybe at the end of that, the learning agent is supposed to be trained at that point and it can make the right decisions. Um, so that's the general idea. And so uh, we have actually taken that idea, that reinforcement learning idea, uh, and, and by the way, we are using MATLAB uh, reinforcement uh, you know, learning toolbox, uh, but you can use other uh, reinforcement learning you know, framework as well. Um, but this diagram you know, just kind of tells you uh, in our use case where we have some kind of network, a, a network is composed of many different nodes. The learning agent, in this case, you need to be able to figure out how to best attack each one of these nodes here, uh, which is the diagram on the upper right-hand corner there. And then um, based on the reward function, um, is going to help uh, the, the the objective function is going to help the learning agent to optimize and, and to be able to realize that objective essentially. Um, so maybe at the beginning, it's the learning agent isn't doing too well because it doesn't know anything. It it it's just you know randomly picking some actions uh, from the offensive uh, playbook, and maybe it's not really you know accomplishing uh, you know, anything. Um, but hopefully over time, over many, many episodes, uh, it's going to make the right decision. It's going to learn to say, oh, okay, for this note here, I need to use this particular tactic or this particular um, uh, technique to compromise this note to, uh, to meet the objective. Um, and then the objective might be to, um, to break into the system, to um, shut it down. And so that might be a violation of availability, or maybe you know trying to steal some data. You know that's a uh, you know breaking into the account and then steal your social security number or something like that. And uh, so that's a violation of integrity and then confidentiality, for example. So that's another you know metric that you can use, and then you can uh, use these metrics to basically uh, set up your objective function. And so there's a lot of you know trial and error because there's no one size fits all depending on what you would like your learning agents to do uh, on the, you know, if you're red teaming a, a system. And then obviously on the, on the defensive side, how you can you know, mitigate would be, you know, based on what the uh, attack agents are doing to your system, what are the corresponding uh, defensive technique that you can use? So, um, so that's the reason why we construct those uh, playbooks uh, essentially. And so, um, so this seems to be working. And um, so we had, uh, you know, quite quite a bit of success. We have tried on different um, different network topology for different use cases. Uh, it can be an IP based system, can be a um, you know um, uh, ICS you know OT type of system, operation operational technology system, where you might have scalar system and, and so on. Um, so the so the same thing can be applied in different uh, use cases, different uh, operating environment, and so. Uh, the other step that we wanted to take is to evolve that single learning agent uh, into multi-agent, right? It's not just uh, one agent that's making all the, all the decisions. 
um, because we find out that uh, this will give a little, little bit more flexibility. Um, cyber is very dynamic. There is uh, you know, different ways to put together a system or a network, for example. A, a network might be, uh, might be more than just your laptop computers, your tablets, you know, iPads, whatever. It might be, you know, your 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 cell phone, for example, or maybe, uh, you know, uh, OT system like Skater system and 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 you know, uh, Alexa or whatever, right? So the idea is that uh, because of that flexibility, uh, and then and then also because of the dynamic nature of cyber, there are so many different attack vectors uh, at so many different levels uh, within the OSI. Uh, if I can. Uh, refer that to the you know uh, seven layer OSI architecture model that people are typically familiar with. For each one of the layers, uh, there are you know millions of of attack vectors out there, and so um, so we so we so in order to better represent or or have the fidelity to select these uh, attack vectors. Um, we think that it's better to have multi-agents instead of one single agent that does everything. Um, because we found out that, you know, even though it conceptually it works, you might have a, a collection of, uh, of systems that might be different. So you might have a, a family of systems instead of just a system of systems. And so it might be a good idea to have multiple agents. And, and so that's the reason why we are kind of approaching it um, uh, down, down this multi-agent reinforcement learning framework. And so you might have, you know, one agent, you know, training specifically for, you know, initial you know, access and then, the, and, and then another agent uh, specifically training for lateral movement and then command and control. And, and by the way, those are the, um, uh, those are the uh, uh, attack uh, framework that, um, uh, that we got there. So um, let me see. So um, yeah, I was, I was trying to, to get back to the to the uh, to the attack. So hold on a second here. So this is the uh, attack framework. So what I was just saying is that um, that you can have each agent that's focusing on each one of these uh, tactics out there. So. You, one agent might be focusing on the initial access where it can you know select any one of the nine techniques out there and then you might have another one focusing on um, on collection or, or lateral movement I think that's my example that I use so you have another nine uh, tactics there and so you 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 can have a little bit more flexibility uh, from that standpoint there so that's that's what I was trying to explain um, and uh, let me continue. And I'll save a few minutes for uh, questions as well at the end. Um, so yeah, so we have this uh, multi-agent environment there. And so, um, so yeah, this is exactly what, what I was trying to show is that you can have specific agents focusing on specific techniques or, or tactics in this case here. Um, and so, so I think that's why that is useful. Uh, and then this is an example of this, obviously, this is a very simple network diagram, network topology. So we we put together like a minimum uh, viable product there to dem demonstrate this uh, proof of concept. Um, that was almost two years ago now, and so uh, the idea is that if you start from one node, which is this uh, purple node uh, on the upper right hand corner there, um, if the if you want to uh, come ultimately compromise this particular pink node there. Uh, what are the attack vectors that you want to uh, that you want to exercise on each one of these nodes? 
Uh, and also, by the way, uh, it also needs to figure out what is the best path to get to here. Uh, you can you know, go down, go up, go across, or just uh, go across and then come up. So there are multiple paths. And so we are basically you know, testing to make sure that the learning agents are, in, are indeed learning. And so we, we know that, um, that this approach actually works because um, with the objective function, uh, we can algebraically uh, pre-calculate uh, in this very simple example here, by the way, uh, we can calculate what is the maximum number of reward points um, that the learning agent or agents will uh, will ultimately uh, will ultimately um, uh, uh, get. And so, uh, so we pre have we have in this case we have pre-calculated uh, the maximum number of reward points, and then we wanted to see if the learning agents uh, will indeed produce the same number of points. And obviously, it. You know they did so. So that tells us that um, that the learning agents they are making the right decisions, and so uh, that gives us a little bit more you know credibility and to kind of validate our whole approach. And uh, we kind of uh, so within the AI machine learning world, there's the concept of explainability or XAI, um, explained uh, explainable AI. Uh, really, just trying to make sure that the AI model is indeed making the right decisions and that it's not biased and, and, and so on and so forth. And so in the case of reinforcement learning, this is our approach at least. I mean, there are you know, many approaches out there. Um, you know, if you are you know, doing a kind of an image classification or, uh, or, or problem, you can kind of zoom in and, and kind of, you know, for each pixel here, you know, there are you know, X number of pixels and then you want to figure out which region of the picture uh, will, will, will make the learning agent say that, oh, this is a uh, cat because it's got, you know, pointy years as opposed to round years or something. Oh, that's a bear because it's got round years or something like that. So the, so the, uh, so the region where it shows is, is the ears. Um, that's the area that 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 can you know provide some uh, some XAI there because it tells you this is why that is making the learning agents into making certain certain decisions. So that's a very simple example, obviously. But in this case here, you know we are not, we're not dealing with you know uh, pixels. We're not dealing with pictures. We're dealing with um, uh, numbers essentially. I mean I mean data in, in general. So this is kind of our way to uh, to check to uh, at least from the algebraic standpoint. Uh, why we think that the learning agents um, are making the right decision, and so uh, so yeah, so that's that's what we have done. Um, so in summary, I think this is my, my last shot here. So we have demonstrated uh, at least a uh, put together this uh, proof of concept MVP to demonstrate how we can use a simulation based uh, frame, framework um, and then uh, have it train the learning agents. Um, we have done this. Uh, in this kind of a cyber environment, we have done a similar, uh, um, uh, you know, IRAP project, uh, the research and development project, uh, uh, and we are focusing more on 5G. And so we have done similar thing, and that also worked in our use case as well. So we have, uh, I mean, fairly high confidence of, of, of how, how this approach actually works. Um, and we can certainly extend this to, uh, to a much bigger scale scenario. Um, uh, the, the the example that I showed you earlier, it probably took uh, took a few hundred or so, you know, episodes. And certainly, if you have a bigger scenario with many more nodes than, than what I had, I think I probably had uh, you know twelve nodes or something like that on the network. You have a bigger network, certainly it's going to take lo much much long, longer. Uh, but hopefully, we can use the high performance high performance PC uh, to speed things up. You know, just basically throwing uh, clock time uh, uh, clock speed at the problem there. Um, 
so that's that may be one way to improve the training time. Uh, and then the other thing is that uh, you know we have uh, provide you know food traceability from the standpoint of uh, how we actually train the learning agents all the way down to uh, what are the you know reward points? What what's the maximum number of reward points, and and whether or not the learning agents actually achieve that? And and so so uh, by simply the fact that they that they did indeed you know score the same number of points that gives us uh, you know pretty pretty good confidence there. Uh, but certainly you you, uh, you know as as I said you know cyber is a very dynamic environment. You might have a different scenario. Uh, so we need to do some more experimentations. Um, but in general, I, I feel pretty good about um, you know what we have done, and, and certainly is a um, different use case. Um, and then we can also use this as a way to uh, support mission planning. As I said, you know, you know, red teaming that's one thing, but also trying to better anticipate uh, what the adversaries might be doing to our system. So there's kind of a mission planning aspect, you know, mission rehearsal. Uh, how would you do? How would you react? If the uh, if the adversary is attacking uh, your admin accounts, your default account, uh, or they exercise some kind of you know rainbow password hack, you know what are what are the things that you can do, uh, or you can actually use this as a way to uh, say you 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 excuse me, so you deploy new technology out there, maybe it's a you know zero trust architecture, you know ZTA, or you use uh, post post quantum cryptography out there. Um, what is the uh, probability of success out there. So you can actually run all these, uh, you know, Monte Carlos and by using the AI machine learning agent that we have here, uh, that can give you uh, some sense of the level of success. Um, and then the other thing I also pointed out is that, um, um, so DARPA, they, uh, a couple of years ago, they, they had the alpha dot fight. Uh, basically it's a um, situation where you have the AI, uh, you know, piloted uh, your aircraft, you know, um, uh, doing a dogfight with human piloted uh, you know, air, airplane. And they have shown that, you know, AI uh, system can actually outperform the best human pilots out there. And so, uh, so but, but basically what, what I'm trying to say is that it's, we can do almost the same thing in our little cyber world, cyber wargaming world, where instead of, you know, uh, you know air to air combat scenario, we can do this within the, the cyber context. And, and, and by the way, we can also add uh, you know, at some of the you know, say RF, you know, radio frequency jamming, and, and so on. So we can also throw that in 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 the mix as well. So oh no, I think that that's just a you know interesting you know experiment, and uh, we can certainly do you know AI versus AI, uh, and also maybe have a uh, AI team versus a team another team of human operators, for for example. So it's got you know different combinations. So I think it's uh, you, you can certainly do mix and match and. Um, I, I thought that this is a you know, fairly interesting um, uh, work that we have put together here. So with that, I, I think I have a few more minutes. Uh, any questions or comments for me? Uh, attendees, if you have any questions, please drop them in the Q&A uh, feature down below. While we're waiting on, on uh, questions coming, Ambrose, I want to let you know that uh, just a few minutes ago, I got a very big smile on my face. Um, whenever I am asked to introduce or give the typical elevator pitch on who is Sirius, the pitch goes, uh, Sirius is a standalone institute at Purdue University that studies cyber and cyber physical systems. Our research focal areas include security, privacy, resiliency, autonomy, trusted explainability, I'm sorry, trusted electronics, and explainable AI. Oh, and often they'll say, what is explainable AI? 
So uh, it was uh, it was rewarding to see, and I'd actually had not seen the um, the shortened version of XAI. So I will probably start recycling that in my proposals. So uh, thank you. It was a fascinating presentation. Students, again, or any attendee, doesn't have to be a student. Uh, if there are any questions, please drop them into the Q&A feature. Personal side note, Ambrose, I'm going to provide a, an introduction to you to one of our alum uh, who um, I, I think uh, uh, you would be like-minded, and he has uh, spent a long time in DOD and has struck out of, a few years ago with his own company, but um, uh, is not doing war gaming. But I think uh, he would find your research interest, and I think that you would find his research interest as well. Okay, we do have one question that came in. Logistics question. How does attendance... Oh, <laughs> okay. Ambrose, this is not a question for you. Uh, uh, students, uh, the, uh, you should be logging in, logging in through, uh, through Blackboard. Uh, is, is, Adam, please correct me if that is incorrect. I did want... Brightspace. Brightspace, thank you. Brightspace. You log in through Brightspace and that will automatically keep the attendance. Uh, for those of you who are taking this class for the very first time, uh, it is pretty easy to pass this class. Just attend the lectures. And even if you have a conflict and you can't attend a particular week, you can view the recording afterwards and then just write a short paragraph that basically lets us know that you really did watch the video. So. Uh, any questions specifically for Mr. Cam? Okay, while we again wait just another minute or two for questions come in, uh, I will ask a quick question of you is uh, that is not related directly to your presentation, but I have heard uh, in my meetings uh, with Lockheed Martin, there were about 40 or 50 engineers and technologists on campus uh, uh, just before the holidays. Uh, are you looking to hire students for interns or careers in your business unit? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're always looking for people. I think we have you know, hundreds of, of of racks out there, and I mean, each summer we 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 bring in you know summer interns and co-ops as well. And uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I I mean, if if that's something that you guys would like to pursue, you know, let me know. I I, I have a point of contact that you can you know kind of follow up on. So um, students, yeah. there uh, uh, Lockheed Martin is littered with an awful lot of boilermakers. I think in every single business unit across. Uh, Lockheed Martin, but certainly within the focal areas of cyber and cyber physical systems uh, in the 16, I guess, 17 years now that I've been with uh, Sirius, I know a number of our students uh, have gone and had both yeah. internships and, and absolutely wonderful careers uh, in Lockheed Martin. So if you are looking for an opportunity, uh, their website is quite... Um, quite uh, fantastic in just doing keyword search to find a number of jobs, including the various geographic regions that they could be in. Um, uh, Ambrose, you wanted, what, what is the specific business unit or, or Lockheed company that you're with? If somebody wants to aim to see if they can uh, work, uh, work with you specifically. Yeah, so I'm with the Rotary Ambition System, so, uh, or RMS. And so that's the business area that's composed of uh, Sikorsky uh, aircraft, uh, you know, your helicopters, and also we have folks that are working on the uh, Navy system like Aegis. Uh, you know, if you have heard about you know Aegis destroyers, 
also have a lot of command control uh, systems as well. So. Uh, yeah, and then the other business areas. So, we, so Lockheed Martin has four business areas. RMS is one of them. We have Lockheed Martin Space. They focus on the space things. So that's really interesting. And then Arrow. So the, obviously their fr franchise program is uh, F-35. You have uh, Missiles and Fire Control, MFC. And uh, yeah, so we, so we are definitely one of them. And, and then, yeah, so, so we, so I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, you know, different opportunities uh, out there. So. And every business unit is hiring cybersecurity talent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's correct. yeah. We do have a question that is coming for you. I'm going to read it uh, verbatim here. Have you entertained the idea of using other simulation modeling software, any logic, et cetera, for the agent-based modeling? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, we have used different simulation tools. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of simulation. I, I started off as a simulation engineer, uh, even though my, my title was a systems engineer. Um, but yeah, we we have used, uh, lately when I was talking about the the, the, SD, uh, the 5G project that I mentioned, so we use SDK, uh, Systems Toolkit, um, uh, Exada, which is another commercial for shelf tool, and then um, and then uh, MATLAB 5G as well. So yeah, we 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 have you know a collection of you know, uh, simulation tools to train our learning uh, learning agents. Yeah, yeah, and we have had you know strong success. Uh, Ambrose, there are you at the bottom of the screen, probably the same as mine, is the Q and A feature. Uh, I'd encourage you to open it up, but I will uh, read this next question, but sometimes reading it yourself is better than hearing me drone on. Uh, your demonstration showed an attacker trying to find a point of entry through the edge router. Can you model execute more complex foothold techniques such as detecting a vulnerable web server and using different attack methods to try to gain an initial foothold? Yeah, that's a good question. Um... Yeah, so in our use case there, at least at least that one that I show you, um, we assume that the adversary they already have a foothold uh, on the network, and then so it's just really just a matter of compromising each one of the nodes before uh, the adversary gets uh, yeah gets to the um, destination, which was that upper left hand corner the node there, and then so um, but yeah, but essentially yeah we we um, oh yeah, and, and and the reason why we why we wanted to do it that way is because uh, in our setup, at least we have to specify the source source and the destination and, and basically that source and the targeted node. And then for each one of these pairs, what are the attack vectors? And uh, I don't know if, if I have it in the chart here, but um, yeah, you, I guess you can't really see it clear. Oh yeah, I, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not that that clear because I kind of chop it off there. But you you see the the the, the ID node and then the string of you know attack vectors. So the, it's actually a, a pair. It's, it's a it's a, the launching platform node and then the targeted node out there. So that's how we kind of construct it. Um, yeah, we we I guess this is a uh, you know the assumption uh, that that we made in this particular case. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't have to be like that, obviously. Excellent. Well, we are at 520, the official closing of the class. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Another question did just pop in here. Let's uh, let's take that. Uh, two more. Um, what do you think is the best way to use the MITRE ATT&CK website to try and memorize all many attacks as possible or to use it as you feel the need? Yeah, I think that... Um, um... Well, that that website uh, has been updated from time to time, mm -hmm. and so I think that it's used to use that as a reference. 
Um, you, you, I, I, I wouldn't encourage you to memorize the whole thing, but, um, but I would certainly uh, encourage you to maybe, you know, uh, you know, scan that website and then kind of grab it from time to time, you know, grab the data. Uh, that, that's, what, that, that's what we have done so far. So, yeah. And the same thing with some of the other ones as well, like the, the one that I mentioned, the, the one with the CVE, which is National Vulnerability Database, that one has uh, periodic updates. Uh, and each year they may have, you know, tens of thousands of new attack vectors, uh, new CVEs. And so, yeah, so that, that's another way to, to kind of, you know, make sure that your, um, uh, you know, CVE database is up to date there. So uh, Sirius operates uh, as a pseudo consortium and there's 21 partners or, or consortium members and MITRE is one of them. We've, we've had a wow. relationship with MITRE going back uh, probably 25 years, actually probably before the founding of Sirius. Uh, and uh, so, so small trivia here is that we are actually part of the team that helped develop the CVE system wow. back many, many years ago. Um, but I can tell you one of my favorite things when I do go to a, uh, a, a cybersecurity trade show, if MITRE has a booth there, they're almost always handing out attack vector posters. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, just so we talk about the website gets updated. So your poster eventually is probably going to be outdated. But uh, I've been in many a cybersecurity engineer's office and have that attack vector poster uh, on their wall. So it is a very useful website. Uh, one more question uh, here. Uh, would anything change if the adversary is aware that you are using such an approach to identify optimal attack vectors? For instance, can it try to attack your RL algorithm? Yeah, so uh, so this person uh, read my mind there. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's certainly something that we are very concerned about, right? So I talk about the XAI and I also kind of mentioned about the adversary AI as well. That's another topic that we are actually looking at is really the, uh, not just the protection of the data and the network itself, but also the RL, the, the AI engine, if you will. And so, uh, so yeah, we, we have been uh, talking to uh, <clears throat> to MITRE, they, they have what's called the Atlas uh, framework. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it, it is a uh, kind of similar to attack, but it's more focused on the uh, AI engine and how you would protect it. And so, or at least identify uh, uh, vulnerabilities there. So yeah, so we are talking to them as well. Uh, th that's another uh, research area that I'm very interested in, yeah. Ambrose, thank you very much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you virtually. I hope we have the opportunity to have you in person on campus at some time. Um, and just as you had started your talk, I dropped in the chat feature primarily for the use of the of the attendees to see, but uh, I'm gonna, gonna basically reshare that information for them as well as you. The 24th annual Sirius Cybersecurity Symposium will be held in person live at Purdue University on March 28th and 29th. The lineup is, if I do say so myself, is pretty phenomenal. Uh, I think it's going to go live within the next couple of days as we have gotten a couple more uh, uh, confirmations of speakers. Uh, it will be in person only. Please mark your calendar now. Uh, and we hope to see you in West Lafayette in, uh, at the end of March. Note that it will also be the kickoff of the 25th anniversary of Sirius. Uh, so, yes, there will be cake. With that, we'll wrap up today's session of the Serious Security Seminar. Uh, we appreciate all the attendees and obviously Ambrose, Ambrose for, for taking the time to speak with us today. Okay, See everybody so next week. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you, Ambrose. All right. I appreciate it.